If you know how it is, then you know how it might be. But think what it would look like if you grow your own community. It ain't easy. That's why you're listening to hear experiences from others just like you and me. Welcome to the B2B Community Builder Podcast, a show that was started because if you can unlock the power of having a community around your business, then you will create a source of referrals, validation, marketing content, and product feedback that will be unbeatable. But who has time to think about building a community when you need to be making sure that your team has what it needs to succeed in serving clients and bringing in revenue? That is why we'll be talking to business leaders like you and I that have cracked the code on why the community play is so valuable, how to implement tactics that got them there while still serving short-term goals, and what they can teach you that they have mastered. This show is for you if you are a CEO, CMO, or simply a rainmaker that has realized that without a community, you are just a commodity, but haven't figured out how to add it to your infinite list of priorities. This show is for you if you are a community professional or trying to be a community professional that is trying to convince leadership about the need to invest in a community strategy. This show is not for you if you think transactions are more valuable than relationships. I am your host and chief executive connector, Pablo Gonzalez, co-founder of BeTheStage.Live, a marketing company that specializes in relationship-driven growth. I invented the relationship flywheel and hopefully... I'm your new best friend. So smash that subscribe button, leave a rating when you do, and get ready to plug into the power of community creation for business development. Let's go. Welcome to the B2B Community Builder Show, the episode 200 extravaganza. (laughs) I'm your host and chief executive connector, Pablo Gonzalez. And with me today is a very, very third, very special guest. A dear friend of mine who is, um, she's like a cultural icon these days. No big deal. She is a, the steward of a beloved brand and a beloved story that has changed many people's lives. The author of her own story, which is fascinating enough. Amanda, the more I've d- dove into kind of like, the more I think about the idea that you got thrust into leading this like company at 24 years old with no background, the more fascinated by that part of like your metamorphosis has been, has been and even more, right? Like got thrust into a giant company with high power partners at 24 years old when, when she was a musician and just like stuck to it, figured it out, read her dad's book and you know, winning by basically eating your own dog food is something I'm a big, big fan of, right? The ultimate sales machine. It's a household name. I feel like everybody knows this book. It's where the dream 100 comes from. It's where the core story concept comes from. We're going to talk about all of that, but more importantly, somebody that I, I, I just don't know if I would have ever gotten the chance to, to get to know at this level, maybe get to know, but not at this level. If it weren't for content creation, for having a podcast, for like the journey that I'm on, that's kind of parallel. We've gotten to collaborate in incredible things and we've become really, really good friends. So I'm just super pumped to have you here for the 200th episode. Amanda Holmes, welcome to the show. I'm so happy to be here. I am an adoring fan of everything that you do. So it means so much to me to be able to be a part of it. So thank you. It hit me when we did that that last Instagram live that we're both like hype people. And when we get... (laughs) 
he's like a hype person on a hype person who's hyping the other person at the same time. It's so good. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. All right, cool. We're going to get into your story in a second. I want to welcome the community. Everybody, the, the yeah. chat's already lit up right here. Who we got? Who we got checking? Oh my God, this is a long scroll right here. We got Lee Bishop in the house. He is the official troublemaker of the community. So if you get a DM from him, there's going to be giggles. We got Don Bates in the house. He's our resident PhD candidate and reigning MVP of the community and the world-class author herself. We got Gareth Bavale, one of my uh, best buddies from high school who is on the other side of the pond. He is launching his own podcast coming here soon. We got Pratiti, Pratiti, my dear friend, who is a mindset coach and an amazing, beautiful human and a realtor and a real estate person. We got Denise Murta Bachman from Houston, an internet friend of mine. Denise, pumped that you're here today. Loving the excitement from you too. Who else we got? We got Lori Goldman. Lori Goldman, who is the super connector of this community. Lori, Lori's got like intros coming out of her sleeves. Like uh, David Copperfield's got uh, got cards, as it were. <laughs> who, else, who else we got in here? All right, scrolling through. Deb Shell, former journalist, master question creator and community strategist. Deb Shell, good to have you, Deb, in the house. Penny Rose, forensics accountant for a three-letter agency who helps content creators. She is a CPA for hire for content creators. Probably a good person for you to know as well. Amanda, and that's what we got so far. Checking in in the chat. Love to that have the community. That was so epic. Can we just appreciate Pablo's epicness to <laughs> announce all of you guys like that? That was so good. I just need to find some way to bring you around everywhere. So we just continue to hype everyone you meet. It's so awesome. That is the first is series the of hype, hype Man on Hype Man compliments for today right there. Um, <laughs> thank you, Amanda. And by the way, yes, I am going to follow you around. As I've told you, I think it's a good look every time I hang out with you because of this energy that we have together. So I am, I'm going to stalk you a little bit as you do your keynote speeches around the world. But for today, I want to talk about you right? I want to talk about the idea that you had this monumental task of A, rewriting, right? Like a cult classic, world famous book for a new edition. When was the original one released? 2007. 2007. So 15 years of updates on a book that people have based their lives and businesses around at any level, right? Like up there with the E-Myth and up there with Traction and all all, all these different books that people have taken these formulas and and just built their businesses around them. I've seen you in rooms where people credit this book for completely changing their life. So monumental task of updating it. And then as if that wasn't hard enough, the uber monumental task of getting this thing to sell like hotcakes when everybody already has a copy. And that's what we're going to talk about, right? Like this launch strategy that you created. And I would I would love to start with why, why did you need to go super strategy on a launch? You had a major publisher deal. You are a famous person. You have an incredible network. Why did you have to go so hard at really creating a launch for something like this? Oh, So my why was more around the mission and vision for it. My father died at 55. He made a great wealth for himself, but I lost him too young and he had too much to do. And so the reason why I redid the whole book was to bring that 13th chapter that I wrote about how to live a rich and full life because If you double your sales, but then because of it, your life is at jeopardy or your health is at jeopardy or your family is at jeopardy, I don't think it's worth it. 
And Mm -hmm. so I had to bring that piece to the table and talk about this letter that he had written about how he generated more wealth in six months than the prior eight years combined. And that was critical for me. So um, it was less about the sales and more about the life. So I I was determined, regardless of how many times my publisher said I wouldn't sell so many copies or they didn't believe that I could sell out the stock and I ended up selling it out twice before we even launched the books. So um, it was more my mission that pushed me more than anything. That's awesome. That's awesome. Do you want to quickly tell the story of like finding that email and writing that chapter? Because I like that was like, I know that's on the last podcast that we did together, but I feel like it's a, it's such an incredible story. I think I've. It's interesting. I was with you one of the times where like when, so I redid that chapter. I counted it on my plane ride. I kept saying I've written it a hundred times. I went to my email and I actually counted the amount of times I rewrote chapter 13 and it was 94 times. I have 94 different (laughs) versions of that final chapter. I really just wanted it to be as perfect as possible because the publisher was asking for the final draft. And this was like two years ago. And I think that I'm delivering it that day. And so I'm in this hotel room and I'm searching through my father's old emails. Cause that was the only way that I really learned his business was reading through his old emails. Cause everyone would come to me and say, your father thought I was the best. And I'd be like, okay. And then I'd go and look in his emails to see if that was actually true. Cause everyone lied to me. But, uh, so I was going through his emails and I found this freaking gem. I mean, like four in the morning, like discovered this thing where he just admits to how he generated majority of his wealth in the last six months of his life. And this realization he made about how to make true abundance. And it was completely opposite from what he had been doing his entire life. I then blended that with my own story of what I saw that he experienced. And then the decade now that I've been a part of the business and eight years of being CEO. So um, I had to blend our two worlds together to craft that message. And yeah, that's the mission. It's awesome. It's so good. Yeah. I remember it was, I feel like it was pretty recent when you had found that and you were like getting going on that chapter when we were in Vegas, like a year and a half ago. Yeah. It's crazy to see how far it's come. I knew Um, it was good when I said it's the encore my father never got to give and how to live a rich and full life. And it was the first time that that came out of my mouth and I watched you like... Uh, your hair stood on your, on your arms and it went ding, ding, ding. I said something right here. Pablo reacted that way. So you were a part of that course of writing that. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. I remember when you said that and I remember the goosebumps. Like I remember it like yesterday, man. Really, really cool. So awesome. So you have this monumental task. You have this noble mission. You have this like wonderful new thing to put out into the world along with the old thing that had helped everybody. And you have a whole ton of tactics to update it. I just want to say, first of all, I really love, this is the second time I've ever seen this, right? The idea. And the first time was Jim Collins, when he did Beyond Entrepreneurship 2.0, how you have like the original text in white and then the inserts in gray. And you can see what the updates are for each of these sections and how it plays. I love this idea for like a new edition because the it's hard to, when you're already, you're like, well, I read the first one. Why would I, you know, like, like Robert Cialdini's influence, he came out with a new edition. I was like, eh, I don't know if I, I should get another one. Right. But like the visual representation of all the new material and all the actualized stuff, I think is great. The idea that your dad wrote this thing back when like him advertising on radio was a big deal. 
you know, man, the world yeah. has changed. So a ton of stuff to update in here. Do you want to kind of give us a little bit of what is out of the things that you've actualized from the old edition to this one? Is there any tactic or anything in particular that you were just like, oh man, this is my favorite thing that I'm adding. That's my little twist here. Oh man, I did so many. I sprinkled them all through the book, but chapter seven was the biggest difficulty. The seven months of marketing 15 years ago, the average company would be on seven different marketing channels to be able to get out into the marketplace. Today we're on an average of 14, even more. Wait, it's 13 different mediums with five social media pages and three paid advertising networks. So we're doing double the amount of work and really for a fraction of the results, because it used to take seven different images for you to see a brand and remember it. Today, we're at an average, you probably haven't heard this market data from me yet. We're at an average of 500. We have to see a brand 500 times for it to be recognizable. That's because there's so much content out there today. So my father came up with all of these concepts before the internet. So when he came out with the book, he's talking about radio, television, yellow pages, faxing. I'm like, oh man, dad, you're killing me. How do I reimagine chapter seven? That was a really difficult thing, but I got some help. So I'm a big believer in if you want to do something, you want to do it right. It's great to have somebody that's already done it to help guide you. That's why I have a business coach. That's why I had a book coach. That's why I have a spiritual coach. I just surround myself with coaches. My company also does coaching. I practice what I preach. I met Julianne Eason, who is an utter brilliant genius that just extracts. She calls herself a genius extractor. And I think that's a great way to describe it. She just took everything that I had in pieces and said, well, since people are so overwhelmed by marketing today, let's create a checklist of the process that it takes for you to know and discern if your marketing is actually creating an ROI. Because the second biggest problem that SMBs have this last year was that they couldn't figure out if their marketing was generating a good ROI. So in every marketing medium, we left a checklist of, okay, if you're doing this, make sure you have these five things. And if you don't have one of them, that's probably where it's broken. Then you can come back and keep checking in this checklist. My father invented the 12 core competencies for doubling sales 15 years ago because there wasn't internet. Today, the information is so valuable and it's everywhere that I found I had to simplify his concepts rather than make them more complex. Mm. So I did a lot of simplification. Like my father's famous for the dream 100, the fastest, least expensive way to double sales. It's the one strategy that has doubled the sales of more companies than any other. And yet so many people see, okay, get a hundred of your better buyers and then go after them with a vengeance. That's basically what it is. But people would see a hundred and go, oh, I'm so overwhelmed. I don't know how to go after a hundred. That seems like a lot. And they'd start a list and then never follow up. Whereas I'm saying, why not just do a target 12 then? Just pick 12, just pick four, just pick one. We've had clients that have doubled their sales just by picking one ideal prospect that they knew would completely change their world. So like I said, with every step, I was trying to simplify and organize to make it easier to consume because there's just too much information out there today. Awesome. Awesome. So the overall thing was to, it's so counterintuitive to think that we went from having like three or three to five different ways to advertise. 
maybe you had to make like, what was the original number? Seven impressions? What was the the original impression yeah, number? From seven to 500. Yeah. From seven to 500. And to think that the key of going from se- from the idea of having to have seven impressions to 500 impressions, you think that it would be complexity, right? Like you think that you have to add all these skill sets and all these other things, but it's it goes back to the... Um, the core kind of concept in this book, right? Because it's not just a sales book. This is like a operations manual for growing a business. And the idea of pig-headed discipline and determination means that you had to simplify these concepts from what seemed to be a simpler era into a more complex era. You had to simplify the concepts. I think that's really brilliant. Man, Did that? when did that hit you? So that was Julie kind of saying like, let's simplify this thing and let's streamline it. Well, it came from talking to our clients. The more that I talked to them, the more I found the same thing repeating over and over again of the ones that were truly successful chunked it down to a lot less because when my father first invented the Dream 100, he had a marketing department that was helping him. He had multiple salespeople that were helping him. He had a whole organization. So 100 at that time felt like a very little amount Whereas many companies that are implementing this, if you gave a sales rep 15 great leads and said, just focus on these bigger, better buyers that are maybe 10x your normal lifetime value of a client, they'll have their hands full just following those 10. It's whale hunting. So it doesn't have to be a ton. It was really just listening. I'm very big on listening, observing like what people are saying in the chat I have a ring on. I have a, a thread on my bracelet. They're like, she's not wearing any jewelry. <laughs> okay, well, I have a ring. <laughs> but I was observing what our own clients were saying about their results. And the biggest hiccup was that they couldn't even determine who their Dream 100 was. And how can you mm. get your bigger, better clients if you can't even figure out who you're targeting? That's a great That's a great lesson to take here, right? Like for entrepreneurs that are, and I'm, I'm guilty of this too, right? This is a lesson for me, right? Like I'm always trying to add the new humdinger thing, or I want to like add a strategy to something. The idea like simplification leads to bigger results in an ever complex world is something that I've been keying in on, right? Like how do I simplify my proposals? How do I simplify my product offering? How do I streamline the people that I go after? So I'm hearing you loud and clear and I love it, but I want to get to, I want to get to the launch, right? Like we tease this whole thing as like the best launch I've ever seen. I feel really fortunate that I live in Jacksonville across the street from Jerry McNamara and when you were kind of getting started, I feel like it was kind of like the first huddle for for launching this thing. And I was in the room when Troy, who I I have to assume is has been an unbelievable partner for you from everything that you've told me, said, I think what's important here is that we do this thing by eating our own dog food, that we practice what we preach and use the methods from the book in order to execute this launch. And immediately it clicked for everybody, right? Like it clicked for you, it clicked for everybody. And what I see from the outside in from that moment on was a very high level execution of the core story methodology and the Dream 100 framework that you used. Can you kind of talk us through how those two things are, you know, first, I guess, introduce the core story. I don't know if everybody knows that. And then talk to me a little bit about how from that day, you know, set that thing up to to build all this momentum. Yeah. So I guess, let me back it up by saying 40% of the content that we put online today actually hinders the probability of a sale. 
half of what we put out is actually deemed completely useless. So what we found is because there's so much to do online, we're just checking boxes of, I've posted on Facebook, I've posted on LinkedIn, I've written a blog, I've sent out an email, but we're not thinking about the strategic objectives that should be accomplished with every tactic. So my father taught this whole, a strategist will slaughter the tactician every single time because what does a strategist care about? If you are trying to make a sale, let's say somebody calls their way in to try and get an an appointment and all they talk about is, hey, I'd love to talk to you about my services. I think they'd be great. I think you'd like to hear what I have to say. You will, if you make a hundred cold calls, let's say, or if you post on your Facebook page, 3% of the people that you are posting to or reaching out to will be interested. That's why we get 100 messages in LinkedIn saying, hey, would you like to work with us? We're great. It's so obnoxious, but they know it's a numbers game. They know they'll get at least 3% of the people that raise their hand and say, yes, I need a product or service like yours. But the difference is what a strategist does is they lead with, Would you like to be an expert? Would you like your prospect to feel that you are an expert? Would you like your prospect to feel that they're in the hands of a true advisor so that if they needed you, they would reach out to you first and you only because you left such a lasting impression. As soon as somebody they know asked for a product or service like yours, you would be the first that they would refer. You would want to promote them actually referring your business. I mean, there's so many different objectives that we want with every single tactic we do. So that's the brilliance of my father's methodology. That's why it's been timeless for the last 50 years. People Mm -hmm. can take what he taught from cold calling and I'm implementing it in Instagram DMs and it's still working because it's about the higher level rather than just the tactics. The tactics are the only things that have changed. So let me pause you there, Amanda. So, so essentially what you're saying is this idea that most people focus on the one objective thing that they have to do and they're not thinking multiple kind of like moves down the line, right? Like your father was talking about making a cold call. And even if that cold call didn't make the sale, it would leave a lasting impression in someone's mind in a way that could then generate a referral or allow them to get into a conversation later on that could lead to the next call being easier. You're doing similar things with social media posts and keynote speeches and all these different things, right? That's kind of that's kind of what you're talking about. So then you you took this launch and you thought, hey, why don't I just not go try and sell this book, but why don't I go and sell this book in a way that's going to lead to a whole bunch of like tailwinds that come behind this book into, you know, a giant business kind of like level up, right? I'll give you an example. So I was trying to get on television. And we sent out a press release. Some of my team were sending out press releases to them saying, hey, Amanda Holmes just came out with a new edition of her book, Ultimate Sales Machine. You know, you should really report on this book. That one didn't get us any TV appointments versus I sent out a press release. I knew the concept of a press release and we've had clients that have used press releases, but I had never actually written a press release for my company. So my first press release I ever wrote, I followed our framework and I led with an education. So I said, every single day, 3,076 businesses are shutting their doors today. And there's one thing that has saved 250,000 businesses worldwide. I'd love to come and share that with you in your four minute spot on your television show. 
This is based around, right? So the one thing was the book that has assisted a quarter of a million businesses. And every day, 3,076 businesses shut their doors. That's actually just happening all the time. But I tried to make it relevant for right now. So instead of talking about just trying to get me on television, talking about me and my book, I made it applicable to a television station saying, this is trends that are happening in the marketplace. This is what you should be listening to because there's a track record of something that has assisted over generations. And we'd love to come and share that with you. It's a completely different approach. One is just me, me, me. And some people will pick up on that. Others want to hear from a true expert, from a methodology that has generated billions of dollars, right? Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. It makes perfect sense. I don't know if you and me have talked about category design a lot, but it's a, it's a discipline that I very much subscribe to. And one of the revolutionary things about it is that you evangelize a problem instead of your own solution. And that's something that your dad was doing a long time ago, right? Yes. By evangelizing the problem, you're not only you're not only leading with something that's going to get people to buy into it, but you're essentially sending a press release, writing the copy for the headline or the thing for the news that they're going to lead with already. So you're already adding value to the equation by not only you're going to have an expert on because here's these stats, but this is how you get to promote it too because it just worked on you, right? Yeah. And I got a television spot within 24 hours of sending out that press release. And I love what Gareth is saying. The hardest bit is getting tacticians to become strategists or being enough of a strategist to manage the tacticians effectively. That is spoken by a true strategist. So I appreciate you, Gareth. There you go. There you go. All right. So, okay. So then we zoomed out and now you are approaching this thing as like, let's be strategic about everything that we do. How does core story fit into fit into the launch? So I also followed this methodology of the seven musts of marketing. My father said that you have to be everywhere to the people that are most important to you. So I took this same story and implemented it across many different channels. So social media, across our website, across our email, across our affiliates, across press releases, across trade shows, all of these different marketing mediums all came from the same core story. And that core story was a blend of story, which since the beginning of time, humanity has remembered our history based upon story. That's why we'll remember a Netflix show over what happened in the 5 p.m. meeting we had two weeks ago, because we remember stories. And then that market data is the science to back it up because we've lost faith in majority of society today. We don't, I mean, millennials will trust a mom blogger over the 5 p.m. news. That's the kind of place that we live in today, right? If you have 20,000 followers, someone's like, I believe you regardless of if they bought those followers. So (laughs) that's a whole nother tangent. But what we want to do is create that legitimacy and that authority. So you blend story with market data and you've got both the logical thinkers and the emotional thinkers. Mm -hmm. So we blend those together. And I did that in two different ways. One was like what, what, what I said with the with getting the press release out. I use those data points quite often in podcast interviews to get on podcasts, to get some of my affiliates, all throughout those pieces, networking at trade shows. But then also there was the story aspect, which I that was the biggest shock to me, to be honest. The one thing I didn't want to do time and time again, I met my book coach, Julie, Our first meeting, she said, okay, I've read your forward. It's called Dear Reader, because normally forwards are to Dear Reader. She said, she's, I think that you should write a letter to your father and it should be Dear Dad. And I looked at her and went, 
heck no, (laughs) never in a million years would I put that in the book. Like that's so, it was so personal that it hit a nerve and I just blurted out no. So then I ended up much to my own hesitancy. I said, yes, that I would do it as an exercise. And I wrote it and it was beautiful. It like fell out of me just like it was channeled from somewhere greater. And so I was nervous about it, but I said, okay, we're putting it in the book. Then my press team saw it and the rest of my marketing team saw it. And they said, that is the story we're leading with is your story about you and your dad. And I went, oh my God, please no. Are you serious? I can talk about marketing. I can talk about doubling sales. I can give you this case study and that case study. And they're like, no, it's dear dad. So then we crafted it into a video and we had two different videos. One that showed like my life like visuals of me in my childhood with my father, very, again, very personal, or this version of me speaking the foreword with black background and text. And I went, that's it. That one. I really like that one. And everybody was like, absolutely not. Like it's all about the home videos. It adds so much more to it. So again, very uncomfortable over and over again. I'm like, I don't think we should lead with this. Even right before we posted, I'm like, I am so freaking nervous to put this video out. I can't believe we're leading this book, this sales book. We're leading with a letter that has made many grown men cry and they continue to watch it over and over again. So that concept of a story that people just resonated with my own heartfelt letter to my dad was again, just another reinforcement of this concept of core story. Yeah. It was, that was a shocker. That truth was more important than any marketing or sales tactic. Oof. That was a golden nugget right there. I'm going to have my team clip that and paste that across all my social media channels. So if you could just give this a pause right now, Go into the show notes and connect with me on whatever platform you like to follow me on Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, whatever you want to be a part of my life in connect with me there. I'm going to share that clip and you can share it with your friends so that they get the same lesson. It'll be adding value to their life. And while you're at it, go ahead and subscribe to the show. If you haven't already hit five star review, right? You don't have to leave a review. You just got to hit five stars. If you want to leave a review, cool. And maybe send the episode to your friend. That would be awesome. That's it. I'm done. Back to the show. Wow. Okay. So truth is more important than marketing or sales tactic. And story was the way to to get it in, right? Like one of the fundamental concepts within core story that I really, that I like that you talk about really well is this idea that only 3% of your buyers are in market at any moment, right? So like straight out of your dad's original book, right? Like if you have a stadium full of your market, how are you going to talk about something that can speak to everybody? And I think that you teach this thing, right? I went through the bootcamp. This core story bootcamp is amazing. And you teach this thing as a way to, to cast this like wide net and then bring the conversation, you know, into, into like getting people closer to that nucleus of like that thing that you're talking about. And there isn't a better example of that than this idea of this like sales book. The story doesn't lead with how you're going to improve sales, right? Because even if you think about a a stadium full of people, how many of them are salespeople, right? How many of them think that they're not good enough and need better sales, right? How many of them are, you know, business owners that hire salespeople? Not as many, but how many of them can relate to a story of a daughter trying to do right by her dad? 100%. 
<laughs> right? So I think that that's an incredible example of the power of story and the power of the core story methodology of casting this net that can engulf a whole population into the story that then can lead to, now let's talk about doubling your business, right? Like, I just find that super fascinating of how out there it went, right? Because it wasn't market data that was like existential threat to businesses. It wasn't like all this other stuff that you are more than capable of creating. It was this very like, I mean, it's very core story, right? Like it hits at the core of your being, which I found fascinating. So, all right. So, Enough about that one. You put that together. You now have, this is the messaging, right? Like you have your data and the frameworks that you like to teach engulfed in a very wide ranging story of the things that you have to do. And now it's time for Dream 100, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I really focused in on quality over quantity because I've generated heaps of leads in the past without spending a dime on advertising. But what I found was that I didn't go after the quality. So tying it back from Dream 100 to Target 12, I really focused on just four organizations, five that I knew were in line with my better buyers. And some of them were clients, past clients, new prospective clients. Some were affiliates. Some were trade shows. One of the greatest ROIs for me was actually my trade show tour that I did. So I got a speaking engagement at HubSpot's Inbound, which has about 10,000 businesses attend live. And people pay $60,000 to be on a stage there. But I applied. You can go on Inbound's website and apply online. I applied five different times with five different talks, titles, and here's what I would talk about. And two of them got accepted. I don't know why two got accepted, but then I only spoke once. It was very confusing. But anyways, I would highly recommend that if you ever speak. That's definitely a great way to go because they have really quality businesses there. So I got to speak for this wonderful crowd that was sold out and not like very few people left for a whole 90 minutes of just what we teach, which is education-based marketing or, or another word would be core story. So that was critical in every step that I did was quality over quantity. Who are the most important people that I need to interact with? and do some kind of work with, like I was obsessed with this Indian company because I want to go to India and spend more time in India and assist more Indian communities because I study under an Indian guru. And in, I may be white on the outside, but inside I'm Indian. <laughs> I eat like an Indian. I pray like an Indian, all these things. So Seeing like really, an Indian. I've seen it. You what? Sing like an Indian. Oh, yes. Yes. I do sing like an Indian. I sing in Sanskrit. Yes. Pratiti has been saying such lovely things in the web chat. I'm blushing. But I really wanted their business too. And I ended up getting, they bought a hundred books, by the way. So it's just this process of continuing to follow up with the better, the people were, who's one person that could change your world? One. It could be like, it could be so many things. It could be an affiliate. It could be a direct client. It could be an association. It could be a Facebook group. It could be an influencer. Yeah. That to me is one of the more fascinating applications of it, right? Because I think historically, if nobody's heard of the Dream 100 strategy, then you've probably never been marketed to by Russell Brunson. So you've never used Facebook in your life. But the thing that I find it interesting is that most people see the Dream 100 as a sales strategy of just like, what are the top 100 accounts that I can land? But you as a strategist thought through that more, right? Like you were just like, it's not the top 100 accounts that I can land. It's the top 12 
stages that I can leverage is a way that I would put it in my own language, right? Like how can I go to like the top 12 relationships that can lead to the most relationships from having that relationship, not just buy the most books at that moment, like HubSpot. I can give an example. So I have, I had, I did a keynote last week for 400 people in a room and we generated 122 leads from it, which was great. And we'll close a couple into sales. I had, I had, I got on the stage of HubSpot. There were 400 people in the room. We got 200 leads from that event and 40 sales appointments that will, I have 1.5 million in my pipeline from that one stage for that 90 minutes. And it'll probably generate me another 10 million over the next three years. So if you're going to be on a stage, you want to make sure that that one stage can produce you 10 times the results. So, I mean, that's one example of it, right? I have another one that I'm working on right now that if I win the one client, I get 230 companies. So instead of going after one company, the one that gets me 230 is a much better approach, right? If you're going to do the work, might as well do one that has a greater leverage. Yeah. I th- listen, I think I think one of the stories that I like the most about this thing is just kind of how you got in the door at ClickFunnels, right? Like you basically connected with the CEO of ClickFunnels and stalked him on Instagram for like a year because they were a part of part three years, right? Three months, tell, three, tell, months three months, three months. It feels tell the story. like a year because it tell was the story, every right? Cause, single cause, day. Yeah. Cause the outcome at the end of the day was like Russell Brunson coming on your book launch, like them, lever- them bringing you in. So you want to kind of tell that story of how you executed that strategy in a very approachable way that I think a lot of people can. Yes. So 80% of the leads that you generate from events are never followed up on. So let's say you met somebody at your last event, 10 people, only two of them will you actually follow up. It's terrible. So one thing you could consider And you can do this with me right now. Let's do this for fun. So we just met. We're on this show right now with Pablo. It's so much fun. Hey, Pablo, let's do something fun, shall we? Yes. Okay. Smile. Smile. Ah. (laughs) Okay. I took a picture. And then if I was in person, I would take a selfie with them. And then I'd say, great, what's your number? And I would just assume that that person is giving me their cell phone and I would go quiet until they gave me their cell phone. This is called the signature selfie. It doesn't cost you a dime. It will give you everything you need to follow up with them, but then you have to take it a step further. So then you ask, great, where do you spend majority of your time online? So you want to find out which medium they spend most of their time on because everybody's a little different. I found out that he spent his time on Instagram. So after that, every single day when he would post something, I would comment. And it's, and When you're commenting, you're thinking, how can I be a bright spot in their day? How can I add value to them? How can I show my consistency, my work ethic, my reliability with commenting? So every single day, he'd post something about how he bet his children that they wouldn't be able to go without sugar for two, for like a week, and they broke within two days. And I went, huh, you should have charged them double. He posted about his wife seeing Christmas lights, and she looked so happy. I went, you know, you should really give your wife Christmas lights like multiple times a year for how happy she was, right? And it was about his family, his wife, his children, his business. I was everywhere all the time to him, just being of value, just adding something funny, showing that I'm listening, showing that I care. Because if you just build rapport, which is means they like you, trust you, respect you, and you find their need, you're 65% of the way to a sale. So I had built that um, top of mind awareness 
So much so that as soon as they needed a product or service like mine, they reached out. So they were like, hi, you know, Amanda, we'd love to buy 650 of your books and send them to our best clients. Is that possible? And I, you know, of course, that's pretty easy. Yes. And I will tell you that six years later, they bought a thousand copies and resent them to all of their best clients just recently. So follow-up is critical. Fortune is in the follow-up, but do it in a way that shows that you care, that you're engaged, that you are that bright spot. Because it, if I had just tried to cold call him, he's got a hundred staff. He wouldn't have had the time to be able to talk to me. So it's it. they're already looking for the attention with their social media posts, right? You're looking for likes. You're looking for people to comment. So they're looking for that. Why not give it to them there so that they don't feel salesy? They just feel, oh, this person is of value. This person is assisting me. It makes all the difference. I think so too. And I think the part of the story that you didn't tell that I think is really interesting is that you're not talking about like on their Twitter feed or on their LinkedIn. You were just like in their IG stories, like emoji, that was really cute. (laughs) Don't forget to pack your mittens when you're going skiing, right? Like I have a hundred percent taken that, right? Because Pratiti is asking, you know, what if you're not as big as important as Amanda Holmes? Pratiti, like, I don't think that that's, I have 100% taking, taking like license from what Amanda does. And not only do I tell everybody about the signature selfie, because it's a perfect formulation of like a perfect hook point speaking point. And I always like to use it as an example. And it's something that I had always done, but I had never like thought smartly enough to like evangelize it the way that she does. But when I connect with people that are mostly LinkedIn driven to be on my podcast, I also connect with them on Instagram and Facebook and the more personal social medias. Because I now, when I'm in their stories, when I just see their story come through, it might just be like a family post. I'm like, oh man, that's really awesome, right? Like just like that, that top of mind of encouragement in personal posts builds that rapport long-term. And I had, I had felt it before, but it never became so real as when you told that story and everything that's happened. This is now a seven-year relationship that twice over has led to major, major like book purchases and, you know, like promotion across all sorts of ecosystems, right? Yeah. So Pratiti, that's funny that you should say that because I had shown, so maybe you've heard of Montilao Oswal. They're the large, one of the largest financial investment firms in India. They've served 2.3 million Indians. And that was part of my dream 100 that I was going after. I wanted to win them as clients. And that, that was who purchased the hundred books. But in front of the whole, my whole boot camp, I showed, okay, guys, I want to get the attention of this guy. Watch me do it. And I sent an email that was like, I got his attention and then he would reply back with like three words. And then I'd send another email and he would reply back with like five words. And then I would send another email and everyone was like a paragraph and he'd write a couple of words. And after I had shared that process, which I saw as a huge win, like this guy that has this ginormous company is emailing with me back and forth. Whereas they saw it as they're like, you seem really like this guy doesn't care about talking to you at all. Like I would see that and I would feel that I would feel upset that someone would speak to me that way. And I would feel that I needed more respect. And I went, if they're a true dream 100, they don't care about you at all. They shouldn't care about you. You are dirt to them. So what do you have to do? You have to start from nothing and you have to build so much value that they feel morally obligated 
to answer your phone calls, to reply. So with every comment I was making, I was trying to add value to him. He is a gentleman that has lots of staff. I was watching his Twitter feed. I could see that he was really focused on legacy things. He was investing in schools. He was investing in ashrams. He was doing a lot of investing on things that you could tell had a long lifeline. So I replied back to him, have you ever thought about writing a book? And he went, no. That was like, that was it, right? No. And I'm like, that's so surprising that you would say that because you having so many followers on Twitter, you have such a great words to you. Uh, that would be such a great legacy play. You know, do you have a son in the business or any, uh, any children? And he goes, just one started last month, you know, like not even a full sentence. And I went, oh, wow. Well, do you think he'll take it over? And he went, not sure. And I would, well, if you ever need it, right? Like nothing. I'm like, I'm feeding for some kind of something for him to reply to me, but I'm giving just enough for him to be interested to reply back because does he want his son to take over the company? Absolutely. Do Mm -hmm. I know something about that? Absolutely. So I said to him, I would be more than happy to talk to him. If you ever wanted that assistance, I talk to children of heirs all the time because me being in this situation that I am, I can provide some insight and definitely make people a little bit more appreciative of what they have because I never got that. I, you know, I got it after my father passed. And so right, what am I doing? I'm just adding value. I'm giving him ideas of what he can do in his business. I wasn't being needy. I was trying to add some, I added enough value to where he would reply. So that's what we have to do. How can you add so much value that they can't help but start replying and engaging? Love it. Love it. And then Denise is asking, how do you manage it all, Amanda? Like I, I, you can only do this if you're really focused on a select group of people to be doing this, right? Yeah. So it depends on what your list is. It depends. So I, you really have to get clear on who are those better relationships that are worth. Like, even if you were to set aside one hour a week, just one hour a week, I'm going to work on replying, engaging with my better buyers, my better relationships, my dream, dream 100, target 12, whatever you call it. And if you can commit to that one hour a week over the span of three months, four months, they'll just be shocked that you had the discipline and the determination to follow up that amount of time. You'll you'll walk your way into some kind of engagement of some sort, whether they're just like, I feel bad. You, you, you engage with everything. I have to at least reply somewhere. Yeah, definitely. Uh, Amanda, I want to I wanna go into your conference playbook, right? You were speaking at a lot of these conferences. You had this like outreach campaign, And then in the spirit of not being too fancy, you pulled out like a genius card that I really want you to talk about on this, on this podcast. Tell me about the human billboard. Ah, So in chapter seven, my father talks about dominating trade shows. And he said, the first step to dominating a trade show is getting noticed. So I thought, okay, how can I get noticed? And at first I had my team looking up how to like design a backpack so that if I was walking around, people would see my backpack. And then they started sending me the designs and I went, this is pretty pathetic. I don't think a lot of people will see that backpack. So I went on Google while we were in our meeting and I typed in human billboard, (laughs) this huge, like four foot billboard that glows I don't know if I can share a screen on here, but can I? I'll look it up. Uh, Why don't you tell the story? Ryan, can you look it up? Okay. So I found this human billboard and I got a design done on it. And I went to my trade show tour with this human billboard on my back. And it said, want to double sales? 
ask for a complimentary chapter from one of the most recommended sales books of all time, Ultimate, and it had the Ultimate Sales Machine on it. And it, the number one compliment I got from all of these trade shows was, that is the most brilliant marketing tactic I've ever seen. You are the smartest marketer at this entire event. Like over and over and over again, it was hysterical. Like people would stare from like a, a hundred yards away. They'd be taking pictures. We kept joking that I needed to get a GoPro and put it on top so you, you would watch the people stare. So getting noticed, check. The second step is generating leads. So what did I do? I put a, a QR code so that when they would, they were already taking pictures because they were posting on social, they were sending it to their friends, right? It was so hilarious that people just couldn't stop taking pictures of it. And that QR code would then lead them to a page. They'd opt in and I'd get their email. I also took chapter four. So one of the chapters from the book and I handed it out personally. So we handed out about 600 of those, which which was fantastic. People were leaning in for it. They didn't, I didn't just push, shove it down someone's throat. They'd be saying, yeah, I want to double my sales. Oh, you're going to give me just a couple pages. Yeah. I could read that on my flight back to where I live. Right. And then generating sales. So it, it was much easier to make a sale when you're just selling a book. So we, we closed about, we closed 400 book sales without having a, without that's not counting from stage. So without having a stage and without having a booth, I closed 400 sales, which is probably more units than majority of the booths that were there. It's so much so that the last event I went to, they shut me down because I generated too much of a buzz and the the sponsors were getting jealous. So good. So good. I love it. So uh, one of the things that you and I have bonded on is unique trade show kind of like techniques, right? This idea that you can pay to have a booth and that's kind of like a sucker bet because you're you're just put into this fishbowl. But if you can completely stand out from the crowd, it, it there's just way more ROI and then be able to generate content from it. I love seeing the pictures of you with this thing. I just shared it in the chat on Amazon, which I think is the version that you had. But like the idea of you yeah. walking around with this backpack um, and then having the, the presence of mind of, I, you, you told me that like, you had a bunch of people coming up to you and then you're like, oh, wait a minute, but there's even more people just taking pictures of me. So put a QR code on it. And then knowing to tie that in with a lead magnet that makes perfect sense, that then becomes lead capture. I just thought it was so brilliant. And it's definitely something that's in my future. I think Gareth's going to use it next week at his next drone conference for sure. Gareth, if you can get it on time, I think I think Amanda's making this thing popular has made it much harder to find than when she originally found it. How many people, how many people would you estimate have like told you that they're going to buy one of these human billboards? Oh, so many. And I told the guy, I was like, I can sell this. Can I be an affiliate? And he's like, is this is a second business. I'm not really interested in selling these. I'm like, you have no idea. <laughs> no idea what I'm capable of. <laughs> so I'm sure he's gotten all of this business and he's angry about it because he told me that he just wanted it to be a side business. But, uh, I, I, I've been trying to get uh, I've been trying to get Matt Kleinrock to start selling this stuff. I'm like Matt, like you're a trade show booth guy, like you should have this in your inventory. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> you just have to make sure that people know that trade shows will shut them down. They should like call ahead mm -hmm. of time. Yeah, that may happen. That may happen. Or you could just <laughs> it's use too them. good. Or you could literally just not go to the trade show, hang out in the outside the trade show, walking up and go down, ahead. and have the same effect. Yes. But what was also really funny about the process was that I was actually wearing it. So like people would come up and they'd be like, oh yeah, I know that book. 
I have that book. And I'm like, oh yeah, my father wrote it. I wrote the new edition and you'd watch their face go from like, oh my God, don't even yeah. talk to me to like Christmas morning, like oh, a new edition, you're Amanda. <laughs> like <laughs> this experience was so freaking hysterical. So um, it was also cool to be the CEO and carry it around. And some people gave me flack about it, you know, they were like, mm-hmm. why wouldn't you just hire somebody to do that? I'm like, why would I take away the utter joy of watching people's faces when they saw this thing? I used to be bald for a while, for about five years, I was bald. Walking through a trade show with as a bald woman was way more mortifying than wearing a four-foot billboard, <laughs> shining billboard on my back. Amanda, did you, you know, so we're we're going to go in like seven minutes, we're going to go into our relationship-driven growth strategy sessions where we do an AMA and everybody comes on stage. You're invited to stay. I know you got other stuff to do, but you can hang out as long as you want. But one of the things that I'm going to talk about there is the idea that I feel like we're headed into this world of like qualitative insights, right? Like the quantitative insights, the the numbers are getting really, really commoditized. And when I think of the opportunity of a CEO carrying a backpack that is like, come talk to me, I'm the CEO of X corporation and being able to directly interact with 200 of your clients, 200 people in your market, 100 people and the insights that you can gain from that. Did you, in those conversations, did you gain any kind of like qualitative insights from somebody coming up to you telling you about the book or or like a success case, a story that you could then tell later, anything like that? Oh my God, so many. Yeah. <laughs> it was like, that was probably my favorite part of the whole book launch was watching people's faces and hearing their stories. Because luckily we do have a brand that has affected so many people and in such a magnanimous way. Like there was this one gentleman, he walked up to me and he's like, you have no idea what this book has meant to me. And the gentleman that I was with, David Asarno, went, hold that moment, hold that thought. Can I record what you're about to say? And he was like, yes. And so he recorded and he went, when I first started, I thought I couldn't do a business, but then I read that book and I thought, yes, I can start my own business. So I decided to start my own business and I followed every chapter of this book and we went from zero to 15 million. And I just recently sold that. And now I have four businesses and they've all grown to seven and eight figures all because I followed this methodology and it changed my life and it changed my family and it changed my world. And he is like crying and he's a big dude, like pretty buff guy. And then I started crying and it was just this natural moment that happened. And because we recorded it, we then used it for ads. And I even heard another guy at another event that was like, yeah, that ad with that guy crying about the impact of your book. Like I'd already bought it two times and I bought it a third time after I watched them. Incredible. Incredible. And here I thought I was the only one that had ordered this thing like three times over. Um, (laughs) That's really cool. I mean, what would you say out of all the things, right? So you had this like really elaborate affiliate strategy that you dream 100. You had this like core story outreach to speaking engagements. You had the backpack. You have, you you obviously ran ads, right? Because it's a consumer, it's a consumer product. What do you think was the most effective thing out of the whole launch? Like, what do you think, what do you think moved the needle the most? So Dear Dad was a critical one, but I'll also tell you in our final hours, we generated more sales in the 48 hours before we went live with the book than we had in the prior two months. So we got a big blitz in the first four days of selling the book. And and then I did. So what I have to say about this is like FOMO is the best salesperson ever, right? So we said, 
We got a certain amount of sales and I was afraid that we were going to sell out of our whole stock in the first week. So I went back to my publisher and I said, Hey guys, I think you're going to have to print more copies because I've almost, I've sold 70% of your stock and it's only been four days. And they went, well, I don't know if you're really going to be able to sell that. And I went, give me 24 hours. I posted on social and I said, Hey guys, I need to know all of the bulk orders by the end of the day, because the publisher needs to know. And I think I'm going to sell out of my stock. Within the day, we sold out 115% within 24 hours just for me posting. And I don't have a huge following online. It's qualitative. It's not quantitative. I haven't bought my followers, right? It's like between 4,000 to 5,000 on each different social media platform. You got a very modest following for who you are. Yeah. So, oh, thanks. So my email database, I wish they'd just come to social. I don't know why they're older. But anyways, so... I outsold our stock within 24 hours because I put a pressure on it of, I need to know by the end of the day, stock is running out. Then we had a whole nother two months where I didn't really sell very much. Like just, they started, they were coming in 50 orders here, 50 orders there, 60 orders here. But then the last 48 hours, I said, I have 48 hours to hit the bestseller list and I need another 974 copies. Like who wants to buy this book and help me hit the bestseller? And I will tell you, everyone and their mother was like determined to help me in this process. So people started buying up bulk. I'll buy as many as you want. How many do you need? I'll buy a hundred. Do you need 200? It was like this crazy rally. And like I said, in that 48 hours, we sold more than the prior two months combined. So fear of missing out is a real thing. You definitely want to count down that timer and say, we only need this many left, or you only have this many left. It it really works. I think that there's a there's an asterisk to that fear of missing out. Because yes, yeah, scarcity definitely drives demand. But I think what you what you experienced in those 48 hours, Amanda, I think it's like the work that you've done over the last like seven, eight years of just like everything that you've been through, you've been such a positive force in people's lives. You've done everything the right way. Like you have this very compelling story of personal and professional transformation. You grew up in public, you've helped so many people and you've done it all very relationally, right? Like following your your intuition and your true north and what you're doing that it's not surprising to me that when you're like when when you it's like build it before you need it network thing right like you've built this like incredible network based on adding value to people that you get that shot right like you get that you get the ability to say plus you put in all this work in this launch everybody saw you do it you get that ability to say, hey, these are the last 48 hours. If you got one more favor in me for, for you, you asked and you received, right? Like I I, I think that that's the, um, that's the telltale sign of somebody that's done it the right way on top of the trigger of like fear of missing out, right? Like the fact that you doubled your sales at that moment Fair. to me is, is a thing. Fair enough. Yeah, yeah. So I just didn't want to, I didn't want to cut you short of that. The last thing... Last thing I want to do, Amanda, is um, I want you to promote the Core Story Bootcamp and the Dream 100 Bootcamp and, and like whatever else you got going on, right? Because because full disclosure, you are one of very, very few people. It's like you and Christopher Lockhead, whatever they tell me to put money into, I'm like, yup. And then I figure out later because I know that it it pays for itself. I've taken the Core Story Bootcamp. I've taken the Dream 100 class. They've both been amazing for me. Big part of my strategy going forward. What's the you know, what is, what is the best way to kind of like get started with whatever you're doing? I would say just, you can start with the book, ultimatesalesmachine.com. Easy peasy. Okay. And then in that case, can you talk about 
how like instrumental it was for you to, you know, we were in this mastermind not that long ago and you were like, man, my, my mission is this like place that I want to build in the U S and I don't know if the market is ready for me to fully be me and, and lead the charge with this. Can you, can you tell us a little bit about how, number one, what this place is that you're working on and how people can help and what it meant for you to just go fully like integrated into this thing that you're doing? I think that speaks volumes to the people that you have around you and the brilliance of masterminding, like what you guys have right here. Everybody is such a great community. I'm sure from all the banter in the webinar chat, I can tell that you just have cultivated such a wonderful group of people and they're actually engaging and they're helping one another and they're connecting and they're connecting other people for them. So that's one critical thing. And then another was in that particular mastermind, they told me to lead with my passion and my mission first. And it felt like it was like the the last piece I needed to get the validation of like, yes, it's okay to speak about, you know, my goal in life, which is to create this space where people can come and just reset. And it's something that has never been created quite like this. And I've studied under an Indian saint, Guruji, for the last 10 years. And I can say without a shadow of a doubt, I've never met anybody more intelligent, more compassionate, and more selfless. And she just has a gift for helping people find themselves and to connect to their true destiny and to rise above the the swamp that we live in. So I'm a big proponent of this this mission and creating these centers that can help people heal from their mind and their body. And yeah, that's the link, divineblissinternational.org. That's my yeah. love. Yeah. So you wanna if you want to add a little value to whatever Amanda really, really cares about, give a little donation to divineblissinternational.org. No big deal. Do that as a favor to me. Episode 200. Amanda, thank you so much for doing this. We're gonna we're gonna roll into the the strategy sessions here, as you see, everybody's come on. You're free to kind of like stay for a little while. I know you got some stuff to do, but this has been, you know, getting getting this like backstage seat to watching you do all this stuff in the short amount that we've that we've gotten to know each other has been a really big privilege, right? Like the the sense of validation that you have given me by like you know, believing in the stuff that I do and, 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 and the, the positive energy that you, that you put into my life has really been a massive, 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 like push forward for me in, in moments that I really, really needed it. Um, and I'm just really excited that this has gone so well for you and that you were well on the way to the, to the story that you deserve to be living. Um, and I'm, I just couldn't think of anybody that I would have rather done this like 200th episode with. So I just, thank you so much. Thank you. You're amazing. Such an awesome conversation with such an awesome person. If you like that, this is actually Amanda's second appearance on the show. Highly, highly recommend going back to the first one, which is episode 133, Rebuilding the Ultimate Sales Machine, where we were together in Vegas for the first time um, doing this live event for a client, and we just sat down for a really in-depth conversation when she was deep in the throes of writing this book of, you know, getting the strategy right for her father's company for Chet Holmes International and really starting to like step into her own 
And it's basically Amanda's backstory and how she got to where she is right now to even get to be able to launch this book. Highly recommend that. One of my favorite podcasts of all time, episode 133, Rebuilding the Ultimate Sales Machine. And uh, as you know, if you listen to this, I, I got to start I gotta start thanking my team right now. And I always start with Rowan, who's my account manager, and I just can't live without. She makes sure that everything that I need to be do be doing is is being done and coordinating everything. I just really, really appreciate all the hard work she puts in. JP, who is employee number one, he is our creative director. He's the guy that picks the music, picks the clips, does all the cool stuff to make sure that I and our clients show up online. Gina, who is our chief heart officer, she built our culture. She built our team. Eternally grateful for her presence in this company. She is she is the beating heart of it. And uh, Marge is her heart. So got to thank Marge, who we would not be able to count on Gina if it weren't for Marge. And then our other two account managers, Joanna and Joyce, who take care of our other clients. Um, some of the brightest, best uh, people that I know. We got Nicola, our writer, who has been with us for a long time. And uh, He's just grown so much. All the stuff that you that you see being written is being done by him, and it's incredible that he's a 17-year-old Bulgarian young man, and I've seen him grow so much. And uh, Rita, who's our content strategist, and uh, an amazing, amazing new addition to our team this year, and she is driving the strategy for our clients and being my sounding board for all things creative. And finally, Philippe, our newest graphic designer and editor who has really, really impressed us from the moment that he's gotten us. I just really, really want to thank our team. Again, could not have done 200 episodes and everything else that we've done without them. And for you, I just want you to always remember that relationships will always beat transactions. See you on the next one.